0: as we continue with our series, The Next Million. The series uh, runs every Tuesday and Thursdays at 4 p.m. The series has been looking at Metro Vancouver through the lens of another million people living here. Our population is presently 2.8 million people And as expected, it'll hit 3.8 million by 2050. Now, on Tuesday, we looked at commuting in Metro Vancouver in 2050 and how we need to build our neighborhoods a little differently. Well, today, I want to look at moving goods in our region. For a long time, trucking has been a booming industry. It is considered to be the backbone of Canada's economy. It is true that the economy relies massively on transporting goods across the nation and, of course, uh, throughout Metro Vancouver as well. And from dealing with the congestion on our roads, the push for faster and faster Delivery times, a societal demand for a reduction in greenhouse gases, and an industry-wide push for greater safety and prevention of accidents. Uh, there is a lot of challenges ahead for trucking as well. Uh, the future of trucking industry itself is a hot topic uh, as it goes through significant changes. Join me now to talk a little bit about the trucking industry and moving goods throughout Metro Vancouver today, and most importantly in 2050, is Dave Earl, who is the president and CEO of the BC Trucking Association. Dave, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Lots to talk about here. Um, how much change are you seeing in your industry presently?
1: Oh, Jazz! It, it's a really exciting time because really that's all we have is change. Uh, when we look at the technological changes that are coming with alternate fuels, when we look at the efficiencies that are coming in terms of logistics planning, mm-hmm. uh, when we look at infrastructure challenges, when we look at labor challenges, there's so much opportunity in
0: the industry. It's just a great time to be involved. Mm-hmm. Let's talk uh, about um, a topic that I think a lot of folks have heard s- uh, some information on, That's of course, uh, uh, driverless trucks, autonomous trucks, whatever we should call called them. The first autonomous truck delivery, to my understanding, was ba- way back in 2016. And I think it was that time Budweiser moved 2,000 cases of uh, Bud Beer from Fort Collins, uh, Collins, Colorado, to Colorado Springs. And I think it was about a 200-kilometer trip at that time. Uh, where are we in, the, in regards to autonomous trucks? How real is that technology? And how real and practical is it in today's society? Well, more real than it was in
1: 2016, but we're still quite a ways away from it. Hmm. Where we see it happening, uh, particularly in the United States, is in the south uh, of the country, uh, simply because better weather conditions, uh, you know, better infrastructure, and some of these vehicles run point to point between terminals, so they're on interstate highways. Uh, in Canada, we are seeing it. It's real. Uh, we saw a pilot project in October of last year with a half a dozen smaller uh, cube vans, uh, moving on automated routes through Mississauga. Hmm. Um, So the pilots are happening. It's early, early days. There's lots of technical uh, issues to overcome and uh, legal issues to overcome. Um, But it's coming
0: one day, Jess. So do you see uh, autonomous vehicles operating in rainy Vancouver in January or uh, in snow in Calgary?
1: Well, if you're asking me um, when, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're asking me to bet against technology, well, I'll, I'll take your money. Um, eventually, yes, it'll, it'll happen. Uh, eventually, our technology will get us to where uh, that point is because there's a whole bunch of good reasons to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're still a long ways off.
0: And, and is it going to be, as you see, the smaller cube vans in the Metro Vancouver in 2050? Or do you see the big rigs one day? being oh, as well?
1: everything. And it's going to be really interesting to see what goes first. Um, you know, there's live conversations saying, does it make sense to move between bonded facilities cross-border because the risk there is we know that we know the cargo, we know the trailer, we know the truck, we don't know the driver. Hmm. So, you know, there's a security issue there that that could be solved. Are we going to see it with small vehicles locally? Are we going to see it with large vehicles long distance?
0: It's just a question of the pilots that we're going to see and what we're going to learn. Let's touch on just Metro Vancouver for a second. Mm -hmm. Uh, A fast-growing region, as I said, we're adding another million people. Uh, Municipalities of different sizes. You've got giant communities like Vancouver and Surrey, and you've got smaller communities like New Westminster and Port Coquitlam. Uh, uh, your, Your industry has to navigate through all of it, whether you're delivering groceries or other goods and services like just getting around the city has got to be tough I know it's tough because I commute every day give me a sense of what it's like for your in your industry today and what do you think 2050 looks like for you
1: well, it's a really interesting question, Jazz. One of the things that uh, many people aren't aware is TransLink actually has responsibility for the major road network. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is to make sure that we have truck routes that are available for use uh, and that they're safe and, and fluid to use. Uh, right now, like everybody, uh, our members, our drivers uh, suffer in traffic. They suffer in congestion. And when we look at the infrastructure that exists, uh, we're operating in a massive, massive infrastructure deficit. Uh, for many, many decades, we coasted. We just didn't build out what we needed to build out and now we're facing that that problem um lots of work happening we're very excited to see government moving on the highway one uh, fraser valley projects um we've actually said to them very clearly uh do it all at once get it done don't drag it out over 10 years just let's get this built and let's get it moving mm-hmm. um you don't build infrastructure for rush hour you build infrastructure
0: to move goods mm-hmm. and that's what we try and do um. But when I look at, you know, even a parking spot for Mm -hmm. for a commuter, they're getting smaller and smaller, Mm -hmm. right? They want to encourage us to get out of our car. It's really different types of uh, commuting. Perhaps you're walking. Perhaps you're cycling. uh, Perhaps you're taking transit or a bus or a little of all of it. Uh, They're not necessarily thinking, how does an 18-wheeler navigate our streets? Right. Oh, absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about mm-hmm. the city and what you think it needs to do in regards to, just, and be selfish for a moment, what what you think your industry requires just to navigate through yeah. this city. Because everything is getting smaller and tighter. And it, I don't think thinking of the trucking industry is the first priority for some of the elected officials out there.
1: Oh, and it's... It- It falls off the radar, Jess, because again, we're talking about active transportation and moving people, and we forget that you and I and everybody who lives here, uh, the technical term is stuff. We need stuff. You know, we need to get that and we need to be able to move through it. Uh, We work with the cities all through the Lower Mainland regularly and we meet with them about road configurations. There are different engineering standards that we work with. Uh, We meet regularly with Ministry of Transportation and Highways to make sure that when they're designing new infrastructure, it actually takes into account current vehicles and vehicles that are coming. Uh, Sometimes that work goes really smoothly. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, When you think about those lovely roundabouts that we see with public art in the middle and everything else, it's great. Um, Sometimes it makes those intersections inaccessible for larger vehicles. Uh, And that's those conversations that we always have with municipalities to say, hold it. Uh, Let's make sure that the goods that you and I rely on can actually
0: get to where they need to be. We are speaking to Dave Earl He's the president and CEO of the BC Trucking Association. We were talking a little bit about uh, technology and its impact on trucking, especially autonomous uh, trucks that we've been talking about, and also just, uh, uh, you know, finding industrial space in the city as well. Uh, give me a call in the open line. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions for uh, Dave. 604 280 star 9898 on your cell phone. Uh, let's go to Natasha in Richmond. Hi, Natasha
2: yes hi good afternoon all of you um, so a couple of points uh, I share the road with trucks and so on in the morning I'm come from Richmond on Seaston Highway and um, basically Eastern Highway they would li- it's so jam-packed as everybody knows uh, but yet they're going to be building a bicycle lane on that two-lane road and many many calls have gone to Richmond City Hall by me and but there is no avail to that to take something that you know you've made a mistake, our infrastructure is a D-, and to add a bike lane where there's trucks, you will not believe it. The, the trucks right now, they don't, you know, they're big. Yeah. So I really feel for them. Secondly, I was just wondering, all these bridges that we have that we're not going to be using supposedly at some point, uh, the Portman uh, Port Bridge, maybe the tunnel one day in uh, some near very long future, but why not make that into one route where it's just the trucking or commercial things can go or even the bike lanes for that matter Natasha thank that's you for your call appreciate
0: it um, I think repurposing and uh, uh, you know some of this older infrastructure is great but although the tunnel is post 60 years and the Patello is even older than that uh, I, I think the core issue really is building infrastructure that's actually mm-hmm. going to help move goods and services right uh, especially especially uh, Dave when we're talking about even just where we are in Metro Vancouver. And, and Natasha is calling there from Richmond. You know, when I look at the Lower Mainland today, you know, you've got the port in Vancouver, you've got uh, a Neptune over in North Shore, mm-hmm. you've got those traditional areas with, that, that have built Metro Vancouver. But when I look at your industry now and look at growth, we can't afford to put the infrastructure there for the trucking industry alone. I mean, Twoson and the port there seems like the the place. Uh, Campbell Heights in Surrey is another place. I mean, is that sort of where we're heading? It's all south of the Fraser in regards to where the goods and services, are at least we're going to be delivered to warehouses for your industry? Well, it is, Jas. And one of the interesting things when we look at this
1: is what does congestion mean for our industry? Uh, in recent years, we've had two very large members actually move out of Richmond and move to the Fraser Valley because a lot of the routes, the long-distance routes and distribution routes that we run are to Calgary and Edmonton. It's not possible to run from Richmond to Calgary Nine days out of ten, in the hours that are allotted, because of, of congestion,
0: not at Five Road and Steveston, I'll tell you, you that you much. You right just by the camp, yeah,
1: you know. So we've seen movements out the valley. Well, what that does is it puts more local traffic between the valley and where people live. So mm-hmm. it's when we talk about building infrastructure, it's critical that we're building it to move goods. It's not just
0: people. It's not just cars. Uh, it's goods as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to
2: Ron in New Westminster. Hi, Ron. Yeah, hello, Jazz. Uh, one of the things I seem to have noticed um, in the last few years uh, for our urban deliveries, and especially the ones I notice are our large uh, food deliveries to our fast food restaurants, uh, where they used to use smaller one-ton to maybe five-ton cube vans, and you know they would have to make multiple stops and reload, I guess. Now they load everything on a huge uh, semi-trailer, and uh, that poor truck driver, he has to, like I watched the one in New Westminster here, the guy comes in with a big 18-wheeler, has to block the entire road, and they have to try to back up into this narrow parking lot, missing all the cars, watching out for pedestrians behind them, which you know, and pedestrians will walk right behind them as he's trying to back up. And the guy's a great driver. But I'm just thinking, like, it's, uh, it seems to be a change in the logistics of those type of deliveries, where they're instead of going with a fleet of smaller trucks, they load one big semi up, and the guy's gone for the day.
0: Thanks for your call, Ron. I appreciate it. Is that just a push for faster and faster deliveries with you carry more of it for the day? Is that more, part of the efficiency? More and
1: more efficiency, Jazz. So when you think about it, if we're talking about moving people, yeah. it's better to move more people on a big bus than people in single cars. It's the same principle. Uh, the more freight you can move at once, the more efficient it is. Yeah.
0: Uh, and that's just a basic principle of logistics. Speaking of truck drivers, we uh, were talking about autonomous vehicles. Uh, Vehicles and trucks. Uh, you you have a lot of older drivers in your industry, just like a lot of industries mm-hmm. that baby boomers are retiring. And I get them calling uh, this show all the time. Uh, are we going to have enough uh, truck drivers? Because uh, you still need people in this industry. Oh my gosh, Jazz! We're going to need more people for the foreseeable future. I mean, as much as we
1: talk about autonomous stuff. That's a ways away. And I mean many, many, many years away. Um, So we need more people. We've always needed more people. We're like every industry, you know, we we need more people. Um, One of the things that's a misconception is not every driver is on the road for a week at a time driving from here to Cleveland. Um, About 20% of the fleet, you're home every night. And that's the big stuff. The smaller vehicles, most of them are home every night. So there's lots of careers in trucking that allow Hmm. for a really good work-life balance, uh, and then if you really want to make some very good money, um, do some long-haul team driving. Uh, you'll be very, very pleasantly surprised when you <laughs> dig into how much you can make doing that.
0: I bet. All right. We got a, about a minute and a half left. Uh, let's go to uh, Glenn in Langley. Hi, Glenn. Hello there. What's on uh, your mind? Y-
1: you know, it's gridlock is going to be the thing. When, when it takes you, when you come across the border at uh, Peace Arch, and it takes you seven and a half hours to make it to Lonsdale, and that's every day, all day long, then everybody's going to go, whoa, you think it's
0: expensive now? Just wait. It's going to be real expensive for...
2: Goods and services.
0: Glenn, thank you for your call. I mean, it is, I mean, we really forget about just trucking education. We've got to make some tough choices in this region pretty quick in regards to we're inviting all these folks, we're growing another million coming. Mm-hmm. And Glenn raises a very good point seven hours to the North Shore if you're coming through the border. I mean, that is a lot of time. It's all going to come down to what you pay as a customer. Uh, we have to make some tough choices in regards to just moving goods and services.
1: We really do, Jazz. And I mean, one of the things to remember is there is no such thing as free shipping. It's all built into the price. Everything you and I buy, it has shipping costs built in. And so, yeah, it's a major issue that we're really going to have to grapple with and keep our eyes on.
0: Yeah. Dave, thanks for your time.
1: Anytime. Glad to be here.